I'm so struck by how little we know of each other's lives in any given moment, particularly our mental and emotional status. On any given Sunday, on any given day, there are those of us who are anxious, there are those of us who are depressed, there are those of us who are feeling entirely socially insecure as a result of what's been going on in our brains and are not sure how to relate to anybody. There are those of us who are manic, who are on some kind of high and are overwhelmed. There are those of us in so many different places, those of us who are in pain from long histories of somewhere in our lives where we have been hurt and it has not been resolved. The range within us is astonishing and maddening and such a source of struggle, such a source of avoidance and othering. Like we don't know how to deal with ourselves, don't know how to deal with each other. The 16th century Unitarian theologian Francis David is credited with saying, we need not think alike to love alike, which is true. We do not have to agree. We can have come from many different places in our ideas and priorities, but we can still love in so many ways, and that can be so compatible. And how we think, how we function, how that shows up in our lives, of course, makes an enormous difference in how we are with each other as a congregation, as a faith, and as a society. So how shall we do our best to show up, our best to recognize the great diversity that is among us, the big umbrella in the workings of the mind, mental illness, emotional, behavioral disabilities, and so much more. My main source for opening this conversation, and this is truly a high-level opening conversation, is the recent neurodivergence series offered by the Unitarian Universalist Association over the past nine months. Uh, the very first one that was offered was Neurodivergence 101, and that is something that can be uh, looked at. It's available on the UUA site to anybody. And the main speaker for this is the Reverend Heather Petit, who is an aspirant for ministry, uh, and they describe themselves as uh, someone who graduated from Lancaster Theological Seminary recently, interned at the Soci Universalist Society in Mill Creek, Delaware. Heather is white, queer, genderqueer, multiply disabled, and multiply neurodivergence. Um, and from this conversation, they define some of this. Neurodivergence is any kind of brain-based difference, something inherent that we are born with or something that is acquired later, such as depression, traumatic brain injury, long COVID processing disorders. These things can be functionally diagnosable. Uh, our language keeps evolving, but that's where it is at this point. Uh, neurodiversity uh, when is when people of diverse neurotypes, including neurotypical, uh, are all in one space. You know, we are encountering the full range of how our human minds work. 
those of us who have illness or disability, and those of us who do not. Um, a diagnosis in order to be kind of in that diversity conversation is not required. We really listen to people as they self-identify and understand themselves. But it can be useful for some folks to have the diagnostic, the medical label. Um, as they evolve in this conversation, people are also claiming and converting some of these what can be historically such negative labels into something positive, something that's claiming, saying, yes, I have this, and yes, this is a result, and yes, I am proud of all that I am. We still have so much resistance in our social system to mental illness and different forms of disability. The author of the story, I appreciate how they're so grateful for the parity um, in Massachusetts for healthcare that mental illness will receive benefits as well as those who receive benefits for surgical uh, illness. And still, I am aware of how our congregation, for example, may not know how to, how to consider a minister with depression um, or a history of recovery. In the search process, uh, in any of our congregations, the congregations are asked to name their level of discomfort with ministers from a variety of marginalized identities, you know, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, plus uh, race, physical ability, and more commonly, more recently, mental illness or mental disability. You know, I'll say earlier, <clears throat> earlier in my ministry, you know, a couple of decades ago, uh, the conversation about race was a greater concern, or lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and so on. More recently, the area that has come up as a greater level of concern um, is around mental health and disability. And it's been a powerful experience to sit in the room when members talk about a fear that someone who has chronic depression uh, as a minister, wouldn't be able to function, or someone who uh, is autistic would be socially impaired. Never mind that they went through years and years of training and uh, are pre presenting themselves as highly skilled professionals. That seems to be less important than uh, this other part of them. And that's just one example. That's just one kind of instance of how we are all struggling. And I'll offer that in recent years, I've really heard more and more of friends and neighbors and colleagues and advocates calling all of us to do better, to learn more, to be more thoughtful and mindful, and how can we be more inclusive? And I will include myself as someone who needs to do better, um, you know, certainly my professional and per personal life includes people of all across the board in the big umbrella of neuro, uh, neurodiversity. But it's not my direct experience. I'm not someone who is uh, in, who is, has that neurodivergence aspect. I fall into the neurotypical, the most days, high executive function, most days, um, but also, you know, with a certain degree of shyness and social awkwardness and conflict avoidance, nothing outside of the range of, gosh, I'm going to get through the day. The range of how we are 
our neurodiversity is so vast and so much harm comes from our ignorance and our fear and learned social awkwardness about not knowing how to relate to someone who seems different. There is so much injustice built into our social systems of denying access, dismissing needs and requests, and making accommodation expensive for those with limited resources. Working toward a more equitable and inclusive world is a moral, ethical, and theological obligation. As a religious body, we don't we are not obliged to comply with the ADA. You know, we're not legally on the hook for ADA compliance, but it's the right thing to do because we honor inherent worth and dignity of every person. We honor and value having a diverse society, diversity in so many ways, and we are trying to create a beloved community, one that is more just, more fair, and filled with more compassion that we might all grow into the people that we can be. This is our task and our charge. We are trying to create a place of welcome and affirmation. And to do this in, an, in, in respect to the range, the diversity among us, to do this as a place of trust. We welcome folks. And part of that first effort of trust is to get to know what people need. It's not about the diagnosis, it's about asking about accommodations rather than asking about a label. Uh, Heather Petit talks about how trust doesn't necessarily have to be about safety. It doesn't have to be perfect to be trustworthy, but it does have to be willing to repair. We're always going to make mistakes. We're always going to screw up. We're always going to be socially awkward. Mm -hmm. We're always not gonna know in some way, shape or form how to ask a question. Always. I promise we're never going to get to a place of perfection. Just, we got to let that go. But our effort to ask, our effort to welcome, to learn, our effort to build a place of resilience and community in this way, we are dismantling our own fear of conflict, we are in dismantling and reducing our own embarrassment or concerned about hurting somebody else and creating a place of trust. We get to practice being a place of compassion, including for ourselves as well. And sometimes these conversations will be complicated. Sometimes accommodation will be in conflict with each other. Some people need light. Some people need dark. Some people need sound. Some will need quiet. It can feel impossible. But it is for us to commit and do the best we can in any given moment. Keep learning. Keep wondering. Keep being creative. As Heather says, if you make a place that is more welcoming. People will talk about the reality of their experience, the realness of their experience, and share their real struggle. And that, that helps add to the community as well. It allows us to serve each other better, allows all of us to be more vulnerable, 
to be a more authentic community and not a pseudo-community. It furthers everyone's faith development as well when we know each other better. We get to live into the congregation being the curriculum, the whole of the congregation. And then that curriculum gets to be the message to the world as well, where we get to live out affirmation of each person fully in every way that we show up, out and about and proud. That's a revolutionary moment in this time. The range within us is astonishing and intimidating and phenomenal. As Reverend Ninan Soto says, there is no wrong way to have a body, and that includes the mind. Heather says, it's hard. All this range is hard. And you are human. Those folks, especially in the neurodivergent umbrella, you may have impairments and you are not broken. It's both. It's both. So let us go forth, remembering as Rilke offered, think of the world that you carry within you. What goes on in your innermost being is worthy of your whole love, worthy of the love of those around you. So let us offer, let us offer this revolutionary love into the world in small and great ways, in all the moments we can, in the big umbrella of how all of our minds are working. Let us go forth. Amen.